Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. Hello friends. Our scripture today is Psalm 30 of the Common English Bible. I exalt you, Lord, because you pulled me up. You didn't let my enemies celebrate over me. Lord, my God, I cried out to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the grave, brought me back to life from among those going down to the pit. You who are faithful to the Lord, sing praises to him. Give thanks to his holy name. His anger lasts for only a second, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay all night, but by morning, joy. When I was comfortable, I said, I will never stumble. Because it pleased you, Lord, you made me a strong mountain. But then you hid your presence. I was terrified. I cried out to you, Lord. I begged my Lord for mercy. What is to be gained by my spilled blood, by my going down into the pit? Does dust thank you? Does it proclaim your faithfulness? Lord, listen and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You changed my mourning into dancing. You took off my funeral clothes and dressed me up in joy so that my whole being might sing praises to you and never stop. Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. May God bless our understanding of this scripture. God, we give you thanks for um, the time that it is to come together and delve into who you might be, who you could be in our lives. We invite your spirit into the space of our hearts and minds um, this day and ask um, that you would help us to receive what it is that you have to say um, so that we might become um, every day just a little bit more um, those people that you created and called us to be. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So every once in a while when I'm on the train it might be really quiet and people are looking at their phones or zoning out and then a crack kind of crackling through a peaceful if not mundane commute ride um, will be a voice loud enough to fill several train cars. I told you I gave you all my money, the voice might be shouting. Or, you think you can just come around here and show up and expect me to drop everything for you? Well, I'm done with that. Or maybe, hi, I'd like to make an appointment to address a growth on the inside of my arm. You know what I'm talking about. And even if you don't want to be hearing it, you often can't tune it out because you're stuck in the train car until your stop. So the argument or conversation is unfolding and based on how you hear someone responding, you only get one side of the conversation, which can get interesting depending on the conversation, right? You might piece together that the lousy schlub on the other end of the phone needs to stop taking advantage of the person on the train and that conversely, that person on the train should probably grow a backbone. backbone. Or you might think, yeah, that growth on the inner arm definitely should be checked out, and why aren't you already at the doctor's office? You don't know the whole story, but you have a good sense of what's going on, even if it's biased toward the side of the conversation that you can hear. Well, 
In a way, this psalm and all the psalms really are kind of like a one-sided conversation with God. Because you see, we only ever hear one side of the conversation, right? We only ever hear the psalmist's prayer or complaint or praise, but we never hear God's response. The closest we come to that is the psalmist's interpretation of how God responded. The psalms are kind of a testimony to who someone sees God to be or has experienced God to be, how they see God moving in the world. And as they're as true and they're as true as any testimony is true, which in other words means that they are a truth. And maybe this feels weird to you because you grew up in a tradition where the Bible was the word of God. But really what the Bible is is a series of truths, observations that help us circle closer and closer, give us a clearer and clearer view of God. Just like we can never fully know one another or even ourselves, we can never fully know God. But what we can do is get a sense of who God is by observing how God has acted. That's why testimony is so important. I saw this, she sensed that, they realized this. The best way, the only way we know about who God is, is through how God has been. And the only way we know about how God has been is through what people have shared. The Bible didn't fall out of the sky, and our tradition is not like the Muslim tradition where God dictated scripture word for word. For us, for Christians and Jews, what the Bible is 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 recorded observations, interpretations, reflections on how folks have heard God, observed God, and even felt God at work in the world over many, many generations. It was an oral tradition before it was a written tradition, and even when it was a written tradition, it was only written by people who could write. So even that is sort of like a smaller segment of people. But before I completely destroy your confidence in the Bible, I'll just keep on moving. (laughs) The point I'm trying to make is that the Psalms, like any poetry or music or prayer, are an important witness to how people experience and understand God. But they are not what God is saying. They are a reflection of how people understand God. But they are not God. And the reason why I'm saying this is because... Well, I've got kind of some beef with this psalm. But firstly, before I start picking on it, I want to say that this is a psalm of thanksgiving, a prayer of joy. And actually, this is the last sermon in our series on emotions, and we are focusing on joy. After having slogged through fear, anger, disgust, and sadness, I'm guessing that most of us are ready for some joy. So at the end of the day, I'm totally on board with this psalm as an expression of someone's genuine gratitude. It's great and good and right. Because clearly this person has been through stuff. Most scholars think it was some kind of illness because they talk about being healed. And they're feeling thankful that God, that God helped them get through. Get it through. Get through it. But it's kind of like when someone comes to the same conclusion that you have, but they got to it in sort of a messy way. Like when I'm talking with math teachers and I start talking about carrying the one and they're like, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. And I'm like, yeah, but I still got the same answer. So what does it matter? Right? Messy. Here's what I mean. The psalm begins with this declaration of what God has done. God has pulled me up. God has healed me. God has brought me back to life. For sure, there are some things that are simply beyond our capacity. That place where I end and God must begin. And illness is a perfect example of that, right? Where we meet our limitations of what we can do. I believe that. I have lived that. I will teach that. The flaw of this, though, is that based on the testimonies we have read and heard throughout Scripture, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, more often than not, our God is an invitational God. And by this, I mean that God has interacted with people, um, has invited people, 
And that interaction and that invitation has not so much been over, but alongside from day one, or more like day five, depending on if you're reading Genesis one or two, God said, I want you to be a partner with you. I'm choosing to give you space and agency to determine who you will be and what you will do. God does the same thing with Abraham, right? Come join this picture, this image that I have of, of what your life could be. Sell everything. But God gives Abraham the opportunity to make Abraham's own decisions. The point is that most often God does things with us, not to us. God created us and called us good and made us partner. And that says something, I think, about God's confidence in us to be more than just kind of a little chess piece on a gigantic chessboard. God empowers us and calls us partner in life and in this world. So the prayer goes on in the psalm to say that at one point, God hid God's presence. But before that, they say, when I was uncomfortable, I said, I will never stumble because it pleased you, Lord. You made me a strong mountain. And when I read that, I'm like, you know, I'm not so sure God was the one doing the hiding. Because you see, when things are going well, when we are feeling strong like a mountain, right, and confident, it's easy to slip into believing the voice in your head that says, I don't need anybody, just me, myself, and I, ride or die. There's a Catholic priest named Thomas Martin, and he talks about this idea of the false self. He says, every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man or woman that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about him or her. The false self is the person that we want to be, a person that we've kind of imagined up in our minds, a person that's been cultivated by the symbols of status and narratives that are important to me and the reputation I want to have. But actually, it's not really me. When I live in the space of my false self, I'm essentially denying who I actually truly, fully, authentically am. When you deny yourself, you're denying God's intentions for you. And ultimately, you're denying God because you're replacing God's intentions for this idea, this fantasy of who you think you could or should be when God is like, I have got an even better, deeply more satisfying picture for your life and for who you can be. And the only way out of this place of denial is for that image that we have to break, which usually only happens against our will and feels pretty terrible. And this is a little bit tied to what I talked about last week, choosing to move toward the sorrow and pain points of our lives, of this world. And really, the thing is, we can't really know true, deep joy unless we know true and deep sorrow. Choosing to move toward the hard parts of our lives and ourselves will almost certainly crack our carefully crafted Instagram and Facebook profiles. It will probably be messy and will definitely leave you feeling pretty aimless, at least for a little while. Because you have broken this image of what you were working toward, of all that you had poured into, but ultimately kept you back from who you could be. But then you have to sort of wander around and figure out, you know, in conversation with God and with yourself, who am I then? If I'm not this thing, then who am I? And the longer you've cultivated this false image, the longer you've held on to it and tried to live into this false self, the harder it will be to confront it and more painful it will be to crack it open so that your true self can emerge. But so here's the point. Your true self is the only version of yourself that can be fully liberated, actually. It's the only version of yourself that can be fully alive. 
And it's the only version of yourself that can fully live the purpose for which you were created. God loves who you are and calls you toward your most authentic self, flaws and all, because your authentic self is the only self that you can be in true relationship with God. Finally, the prayer talks about how God has changed their mourning into dancing. Here's the thing. Life is tough. This world is discouraging and it never stops being completely tough and discouraging. I think, you know, really it's mainly about degrees of toughness and degrees of discouragement. And so more often than not, we have a choice, right? Keep trying, keep staying connected to God and to yourself and to a community that tries to help us on the journey and remind us of the hope of God's promises. Try or give up. God doesn't want you to give up. God calls you to choose life. And maybe that feels too simplistic, too easy. Maybe you're like, Pastor Emily, you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. And you're absolutely right. I don't. I don't know all of your struggles. Maybe I know some of them, but I don't know all of them. But I do know from my own experiences anyway, how sad and painful life can be. This year, I will have the privilege of officiating three marriages of same-gender couples. And do you know that of these three weddings, none of them will have both sets of parents attending? It's not because they can't. It's because they won't. The most beautiful, hopeful, joyful days of their children's lives because they just can't stomach the idea of who they love. It makes me angry and fearful and disgusted and sad. And yet, and yet I was just at the first of these three weddings, the wedding of our beloved Rachel and Sophia. And let me tell you, I hadn't had so much fun in a very, very long time. The turn up was so real and so fierce. Did it change the circumstances? No. The sadness is there. But there was a choice to say, you know what, forget it. We're going to have a good time. We're going to choose joy right in the middle of all of this pain because we can't wait for the pain to go away to celebrate. It's not going to go away. But we can celebrate. We're going to trade out our morning clothes and get dressed up in joy. There are more examples I could give, more examples, declaring black girl magic for every cutting remark, even choosing to come to church and proclaim resurrection in a world, in a city that is saturated with death, choosing to get dressed up in joy in spite of and because of everything that may be happening to you and around you, everything that may be happening within you, God is calling you to choose joy by choosing life. And choosing life means choosing to find opportunities to celebrate, to sing praises, even in the midst of despair. Bit by bit, step by step, choose life, choose joy. And with each each bitty bit and each tiny step, that's how we get out of our funeral clothes and get dressed up in joy. God invites us to be partners in life and life making, in joy and joy making. And even though partnership is not the same as equality, 
I'm not saying we're equals to God. I'm saying we have an invitation to rise up and work together with one another and with God as co-creators and stewards of life. God created us for joy, really. And when we claim this joy in spite of and in the midst of real fear, real pain, real anxiety, when we're doing the work of faithful living, that means that we are doing the work of choosing joy in the middle of all of that. Nothing, no one will be completely free of those things. But that doesn't mean we can't claim some strand of fullness of life, some taste of thy kingdom come in the middle of it all. And this is Christian joy. This is what Christian joy is. Wholehearted living, a kind of living that doesn't ignore the pain, but holds it with love and hope and even sorrow, all while choosing life choosing to view the world and life through a lens of gratitude and praise, even if the best you can muster up is, I thank God I woke up this morning. Because why? Because it means another page is turned in your story. How can we keep turning pages? How can we choose life and choose joy, especially when we feel least able to do it? Well, what did Jesus do? Even as he swam in waters of pain, What did he do? He ate delicious dinners, dinners at full tables, tables occupied by people who did not like him and people who loved him so much they thought they would break in half if he died. All those people Jesus sat and ate and talked and laughed and enjoyed and claimed life with, all while encountering real pain on a daily basis. Why? Why did he do this? Why should we do this? Well, It's how we stay sane, remembering and reminding one another what we're about, that God calls us partners in life and creation. It's how we stay hopeful, remembering and reminding one another of God's love, that our truest, most authentic self is who God calls beloved. And it's how we stay strong, remembering and reminding one another that we have a choice to make, that God calls us to choose life. That's how we claim life. That's how we claim joy. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you invite us as partners, as people to walk alongside you as partners in creation and life. We give you thanks for the gift of your love, that you love our truest and most authentic self and not those carefully crafted images that we try to distract others into believing is who we are. And we, God, we give you thanks that you let us make a choice. And we ask that you would grant us the courage and the strength and even the boldness necessary to help us choose life. Help us get dressed up in joy. Help us to be lights in a world that feels full of shadows. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.